It's time for building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. Tabletop game design. The the end of the episode that's when it technically ends hello and welcome to building the game a documentary podcast today is monday october 19th and you're listening to episode 438 as always i'm your host jason today joined by rpg designer hannah schaefer designer of questlandia she also worked on narland noirlandia i can say noirlandia <laughs> and then finally uh she also designed damn the man save the music uh hannah how you doing I'm good. Thank you for having me on. 438, also episode 438. That's really right. That's amazing. Yeah, Yeah, we start. I started this uh, with a friend in 2012. Uh, uh, He eventually abandoned ship. Very smart of him. Um, So now uh, now it's just now it's me and three rotating co-hosts. And uh, yeah, so it's a good time. But thank you. Yeah, we so uh, we were talking beforehand. We met uh, once at Gen Con two was it two years ago or oh, three I years think ago? It was more than yeah, <laughs> maybe three was, years ago now. Yeah, Time probably flies. three years ago now. And and the last you know six years and or six months have been real long, so it can it becomes really hard to notice. <laughs> yeah, time time is really warped right, right now. Absolutely, it is. It is. So yeah, so we met once, uh, we talked about some project stuff, that was fun, and uh, I've been meaning to have you on the show literally ever since, um, and I was actually being responsible in scheduling some stuff out, And uh, which if listeners of the show know I'm not awesome at, um, and I saw you on Twitter and I was like, oh my gosh, like I gotta get Hannah on the show, we've talked about this for a while, so yeah, yeah. so I'm excited to have you be here. If you, um, have you uh, been playing any games lately, doing much? In the lockdown stuff? That's a great stuff. question. Uh, you know, I actually haven't <laughs> done much gaming. I'm trying to think of if I've done any gaming during lockdown. Not really. You know, I feel like being in this pandemic has kind of had this arc for me where in the very beginning, I I hit, I hit all the social stuff really hard. Like I was, you know, getting into a bunch of Discord channels and like really trying to feel connected mm-hmm. with people from afar. And I kind of burned out pretty fast. Oh, so yeah. That's fair. I, you know, it's, it's, I love being able to stay connected from afar, but it's not a replacement for being able to game in person or see my friends in person. So like, it's just not the same. So I, I feel like now we've been in this long enough that I'm finally ready to like play some games online and feel okay about it. But it's, it's been a a little bit of a process of acceptance for me. That's fair. Yeah. I didn't, I jumped into like starting video chatting with friends quite a bit right away. Uh, but I didn't start really playing games online for quite a while. I felt like I was kind of in denial. Like I was like, no, 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 no. This is going to end and yeah. I can go see people and play games. And then it didn't. And I was like, oh, crap. <laughs> yeah, I start I think, playing games. I think that's uh, where I was online. at too. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Are you playing anything good? Um, Gosh, not, you know, I've been, um, I've been really into different roll and write games of late. So I, uh, yeah, I've played quite a bit of things um nothing particularly that's been like whoa this is amazing i in the last show i talked about playing metro x um and uh i just bought a couple new ones that i haven't got to try yet um but i actually aside from playing games i actually went to a game store for the first time since probably january um just because i usually only go every month or two and then 
I just had happened to not go for a while. And then they all got shut down in Michigan. They shut everything down where we are. Um, so I went to a game store with my kids uh, for the first time. They they are into Pokemon cards. They don't know how to play the game. Um, and neither do I, actually. Uh, <laughs> but they really like the cards. And they have this little battle kind of like war. They play war back and forth with the cards. They mostly just like to collect them. So um, we went and got them some binders like the, uh, you know, the, the, where you put like cards in. And, sure, um, sure. And they were they were very excited about that. And I was just excited to go to a game store. And I was was proud of my friendly local game store. I mean, you walk in, they have sanitizer and they're like, please sanitize your hands. You must wear a mask. And then they have like the circles on the ground to show you how far six feet is like throughout the entire store. And they reconfigured the whole store to make it easier to like walk around and be distanced from people. So I was, I was quite impressed. And, uh, and then I, we, I wanted to support them. So I bought a couple games because normally I'd buy a couple games every, like a game or so every couple months. So I was like, mm-hmm. I'm due, bought a couple games. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, but it was good to be, uh, out, you know, in, in feeling like I was in a place with other people that enjoy games other than just online, even if I didn't really know any of the people besides some of the workers that I've known because, yeah. you know, being a customer for so long. Oh, and if you're going to go out, you know, it's like good to be able to support a local business that's trying to right. thrive right now. Yes, yes. And I was impressed with them from the beginning. Like, so we were closed the day, literally the day that they announced people could be open for pickup, like for drive through pickup. They were open immediately. They're wow. like, come get your comics. We will bring them out. We will be masked and gloved. We will put them in your car. Um, and they just jumped on it. And I feel like that got them a lot of like, oh, they're open again, right? So that really got out there uh, for them. But no, we've been between that and then we've we've eaten more takeout than we probably should be right now uh, <laughs> or ever really. But um, but we've been doing that mostly because it's it is it's a really easy way to support local business. Um, and also, there's only like so many things you can eat at home before you feel like I really want something different. Like I, yeah, especially yeah. With, the, with the two kids. So. Yeah. Totally. If you're, you know, if you're going to be stuck inside and living this weird new life, like right. have some, try every pizza place in a 15 yes. mile radius, make it count. We pretty much have actually in that specific <laughs> thing. We've got one or two to go and then we're done with that. So um, where, where are you located? Like what state are you in? I'm in Massachusetts in Western okay. Massachusetts. Um, and it's been, I mean, I, I love living in Massachusetts and it's been a good state. It's been a state that's, you know, handled COVID really well, all things. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. 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 And beautiful this time of year. I mean, it's October. This is like Massachusetts time. It it like harnesses some serious tree energy (laughs) (laughs) this time of year. Right, (laughs) right. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. Michigan is, is, you know, has some of that too. The nice fall weather with the, uh, with the nice trees and stuff. We just, we did our last weekend of camping last weekend and noticed that quite a bit that it was uh, very, um, yeah, it was just very nice to be out. And it was like that warm fall weather where you're like, how is it warm? And like today oh, it was yeah. like, you be cold out, but like two days ago it wasn't like 60 something. So yeah. But, you must have sent it here because it was like a 75 right. degree day here with the trees wow. all orange and red. It's so it's a perfect day. Weird day, though. Yeah, that's amazing. That is amazing. Um, yeah, that's very cool. 
So you uh you have a uh you have a topic we we're going to talk about uh and uh yes. I'm excited to talk about this topic. I'm going to let you intro it, but I think it's going to be uh something fun to talk about. Sure. So tonight I wanted to talk about designing for do I say tonight today does it matter? Off record. It doesn't. Maybe know. that's the thing about podcasting. Like, yeah. At the I mean, end of the show, I always say good night, <laughs> but I never know when people. I just I record it at night. Cool. So I, I, I didn't say know if it night. was supposed to be like secretly during the day. Um, oh no 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 no! We're not um, into the parlor tricks or anything here. We're just like yeah, great. it is what it is. <laughs> so, <laughs> so tonight I wanted to talk about designing for scale and what it looks mm-hmm. like to actually try to design a small game yeah 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 and that i my whole experience with the designing small games is it's difficult it's very it's really difficult yeah and i mean i think it's great to why i wanted to talk about it was that like it's great to set your heart and mind on designing a big game but sometimes it's also good to practice just like making something that is a smaller scope smaller scale and if you do Mm -hmm. set your mind on that um, at least in my experience, I have found that it's actually quite challenging. Indeed. I second that. <laughs> harder than, yeah. <laughs> I would say often harder to design a small game than a big game. Absolutely, right? I mean, because with a big game, whether it's an RPG or a board game, you could just add another rule or add some more components, right? I mean, just make it bigger and you yeah. can solve all the problems. So- I mean, that's not true, but you can add more things to feel like you're solving the problems, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, what's commerce like? Add some commerce mechanics. And then suddenly you have a 400-page rule book. Right, right. And, you know, that's super interesting to me because I I think it's difficult to design board games, you know, in that small space. But RPGs actually sound even just more difficult to me because, like, you, you literally, anything could be a rule, right? It's like beyond the scope of just the the like the crunchy mechanics i mean there's so much more you can put into it how do you make those decisions uh you know when you're working on something like that yeah absolutely i mean it's it's such a balance because like you said anything can be a rule also anything could not be a rule i mean you you get into trouble <laughs> right. you get into trouble the other way the other end of the spectrum too where you pare something down so far that you're just mm-hmm. telling people like this is a I, I guess the most basic you could go is this is a scenario where we're all invading a castle and we're all you know we're we're trying to overthrow the king go go do right, the scene. Right. Um, and there's some groups, right, right. That, like there's some player groups who are like, yeah, we're, we're going and they're still going after three hours. Um, but for most people that, that game and that pitch can fit on, you know, a half an index card, but most players are not going to be able to take that that far without right. a little more guidance. Right. Um, yeah. So let me pull up my notes here. Cause I wrote a few notes. Sure. Though that's awesome. Yeah. I, I just, I, yeah, trying to get my head around that. I've tried to work on a couple small RPGs and I've had that big issue of like what needs to be defined and what doesn't need to be defined. And, um, cause I, I haven't played nearly as many RPGs as board games, but I, I know that I struggle with that issue quite a bit of trying to figure out what, what matters and what will the players figure out on their own. 
Uh, and it doesn't matter that if they don't figure it out, you know, the right way, right? If they figure it out, however they decide to choose to do it. Yeah. So I think as I'm talking, I'm going to see if this is true. I think that some of the things that I've written down can apply to both RPGs and board games. I wrote them down with RPGs in mind. I suspect they can also apply to board games, but I'm going to I'm going to see if that's true as we go. All right, that sounds great. <laughs> so Okay, so you want to design a small game, and there's lots of great reasons to design a small game. One is you want to get a get a completed thing out there into the world and have people playing mm-hmm. it, and you don't want to be doing that for years. You want to do that in a month. Like, challenge yourself to make a game in a month. Um, so what are some things that you can do? One thing that you can do is impose arbitrary guidelines around length or materials. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is like a little bit of a sneaky one. So, you know, you can say, um, I want to design this game on a business card, or I want to design an RPG that is a maximum of 200 words. That's like potentially a place to start. Uh, But it's a little bit sneaky also, because if you are dealing with, a really elegant, like you can, part of an elegant design is also its simplicity. So you could potentially Mm -hmm. get a game down to 200 words. That is a game that people could be playing for years because you put so much work and years into the design that you have crafted the most perfect, marvelous 200 words ever. (laughs) (laughs) Like you found the exact, exact 200 words to tell this story. Um, uh, have you ever, do you know Epidiah Ravichel's Vast and Starlet? Have you ever heard of that game? I've heard of that. Yes. Yes. So for people who aren't familiar with that, it is a role-playing game on, I think like, you know, sort of two sides of a little fold out business mm-hmm. card, teeny tiny booklet. I think it's about 400 words. Um, and it's a game you can play for hours you're creating a spaceship, you're sending a crew on dangerous missions, and it's 400-something words. Yeah, that's amazing. So <laughs> so those arbitrary, uh, you know, arbitrary things around length or a challenge to design a 200-word game or to design a game on a postcard um, can be helpful. But mm-hmm. I'm sure that Epi spent... I don't know how long he spent designing that game. I imagine it wasn't an insignificant amount of time, though, to get it. Like, <laughs> it's, not, yeah. it's perfect. It's a it's a perfect game. Um, and, you know, so size does not necessarily equate simplicity. Right. Yeah. And I think that that uh, I don't know what your rest of your rules are going to be, but that first one 100 percent correlates to board game design. Um you know, designers consistently impose restrictions on themselves to make things work, right? Uh, sometimes it's publisher-based. Uh, you know, there's button-shy games run by Jason Tagmeyer, and, you know, everything he publishes is an 18-card game. So mm-hmm. if you want to pitch Great a game example. to him, yeah. it better be 18 cards, right? Yeah. Um, I- I'm working on a game right now to publish, and, in, in, you know, I was talking with my co-designer. We were talking about, like, hard limits and soft limits for what what do we have to have in the game and what can't we have in the game at all. And my only hard limit was... I want it to be 18 cards because if people are going to be able to print this, I don't want it to be a pain in the butt to print. I want them to cut mm-hmm. up 18 cards and, and be ready to go. Um, and, uh, you know, realistically, like that, that has really driven the design because we can't 
just say, well, let's just add more cards to make it easier, right? Um, and that I've found when you're trying to make games simple, and I mean simple as an elegant simple, not simple as in boring simple, that really creating that simplicity, the lack of, there's a point, right? At least in board games where there's, where have the lack of components makes that happen. And then there's a, a minimum point where you get below that. And now suddenly it's harder to deal with because, you know, like I don't want to add in 10 tokens. So I have to track things weird. But if I just had 10 tokens, I could just track it a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure it's the same way with an RPG to where I don't want to deal with another 200 words to write the rules about this one thing. But <laughs> without those, they don't know how to storm the castle, right? So <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And it's, <laughs> I mean, I guess words, word count in RPGs is sort of, you can kind of equate in some ways to components in board games. Um, For not sure. That, not that they're exactly the same thing, but what you are sort of accomplishing through words, you're accomplishing through those components, which in board games, then you also run into cost issues. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so sometimes you have to end up, uh, you know, finding finding sort of a workaround solution because you have to also mm -hmm. keep your game production under X number of dollars a copy and your budget doesn't have room for an extra set of meeples. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, for sure. You know, that is, yeah, that is, that is a very difficult thing. And I, and I have to imagine that when you're determining with an RPG that sort of cost, it really depends on if it's, I know, you know, now one of the biggest things for RPGs uh, in cost has been that so many games can be a PDF, right? Like they can be something downloadable that, you know, there was a time when there were PDF RPGs, but I feel like most people are still like, I got to have a book, right? But I obviously, at least from my outsider's perspective of what I've seen, more people seem to be comfortable with the idea of, oh, it's just a, I, I pay X amount of dollars and I download this file and I have it now. Mm -hmm. um, is that, I mean, is has that been helpful for RPG designers on the cost projection side of things? Yeah, I, th I think so. And I think especially for, I think it has inspired a new wave of these smaller games because there's right. also less pressure to, I mean, I, I think this is probably something that we've seen in the RPG industry for years or in lots of industries like having to add a bunch of extra fluff to fill up, you know, a D and D source book that has to be this number of pages for people to feel right, like it was right. worth the money or, you know, a movie that right. has to be, uh, <laughs> right, three hours, right. um, for people to, you know, consider it a valid, uh, part of the Avengers franchise. <laughs> Um, right. at some point there is sort of this arbitrary adding of extra material so people feel like they're right. getting their money's worth and I think that um, you know with things like Itch.io which is this digital distribution platform that's really friendly to mm -hmm. creators people have a lot more flexibility now to publish a one-page game do pay what you want or you know charge right. a few bucks for it and not have to worry about the material cost right Right. Yeah, that's I mean, that I know with board games, uh, with with websites like PMP Arcade does that where it's everything is downloadable. Right. And these are a lot of these are games where you have um, where you have physical versions of these games, but then there's also digital versions. And it, it amazes me that even in board games, what people are willing to do, like I, I, one of my games on real estate, um, which is uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking over at it, which the pod that helps the <laughs> listeners a lot. Um, so it's, it's like, I don't know, it's like 60 or 80 cards. 
um, some tokens and stuff like that. And like people buy that like for, for five bucks off PMP Arcade and they like wow. make a print and play of it. And I'm like, wow, that's yeah, awesome. That's like, cool. um, I am way, way too lazy to do that. Like I'll, like I buy a lot of rolling rights off that kind of stuff. Cause like for five bucks, I can get a rolling right that I can print three pages, throw some dice into it and boom, I have a game to play. Right. There's not like printing 50 cards and cutting them out and, which is silly, I guess, because as a designer, I do that constantly. Maybe that's why I don't want to do it to play <laughs> other people's games because I have to do it to make that. my no own games. No more laminating. No more. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's cool, though. And, you know, at that point, you're getting the bonus of both a game and a craft project all in one. Right, so right. <laughs> if that's it's your true, jam. It's true. Um, it, very true. Very true. Yeah. So, so those, you know, those arbitrary length or materials restrictions that's mm-hmm. that's one thing but like i said also you can um it doesn't mean that it's small in scope just because you're imposing those right. those word count restrictions or materials restrictions um For, when you say mm-hmm. materials constrict restrictions sorry I, I just meant to ask this earlier and you said it again i'm glad you did um do you mean like whether or not this game would need dice or whether or not this game would need character sheets or any other sort of, is that what you mean from your side? Uh, thinking of the RPG yeah, that, side from like that, that could materials. be one. Yeah. You could, you know, uh, impose a restriction of, you know, I know that I want to design an RPG that has no dice. You know, it's, it's just the book. It doesn't even have character sheets. Um, or it's mm-hmm. just going to be this book or it's going to be an RPG on a deck of standard sized playing cards. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. or it's going to be an RPG that's on a postcard. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay, cool. That, I, that's what I figured you meant, but I yeah. just wanted to clarify the terms. So yeah. Awesome. Um, so there's that idea is, yep. you know, imposing those, those restrictions. Um, and another one in terms of thinking about scope is I like to think about zooming in, with a microscope, um, starting with an idea as broad as, I don't know what something really broad, Game of Thrones. It's like this, you know. Yeah, that's pretty broad, yeah. (laughs) Very broad. It's like this sweeping story of, you know, all of these different, uh, these families and the like political, I never, is it machinations or machinations? I never remember which one it is. I I would say machinations, but that doesn't mean um, machinations. I think it's, I think, I think it's machinations, but I also could be very wrong about that. Political upheaval and deceit. Um, So, you know, like Game of Thrones, if you want to design a role-playing game in a month and you want to design the next Game of Thrones, it's probably not going to happen um unless you like <laughs> enter some fugue state where you are like channeling george rr R. martin or something um, it would take him longer than a month Who are you talking oh, it would about? take him a lot longer than a month um, so so one thing that i do when i start to like give myself some time pressures but my ideas are just too big is is zoom in so I'm like, okay, well, I want to tell this story that's like Game of Thrones. Like, how far can I zoom in to the parts of this setting that I like and the parts of this story that mm-hmm. fascinate me? 
um, and still have a story that I want to tell, but have it at a smaller scale. So mm-hmm. that might be like, all right, I want to make a game. And I picked a terrible example because I actually haven't seen or read any Game of Thrones. <laughs> I've seen so the I- show. I've not read any of the books. After seeing the show, I was like, I don't want to read these books. Um, so. Yeah, it's a terrible example for me to pick, given that I don't actually know what I'm talking about. But um, I feel like it's sort of in the collective consciousness enough that I can make some guesses. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> so you can zoom in and say, well, let me tell the let me tell the story then of uh, a ruling political family on like the night that the king is betrayed. That's probably something that happens mm-hmm. in Game of Thrones, right? Or the night that the king is assassinated. Multiple times. <laughs> I think, yeah, right? Spoiler alert, a lot. <laughs> a lot. There's a reason <laughs> they call it a Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah, so that's, all right, so I made a good guess. Um, yes. And that's a smaller, that's, you know, you've zoomed in on a smaller story. Um Still not necessarily an easy game to make or an easy story to tell, but that's, you know, zooming in on the scope without losing the the bigger picture of a Game of Thrones type of type of story. Right, right. No, one of the things that popped into my head when you said zooming in on like one thing, because the show did that quite a bit where they would zoom in, you know, e- the scenes would be very, you know, tight about one thing. And, and I always was like, I want to know more about that one thing, like... You know, there's this big ice wall that these people guard because on the other side, there's bad stuff. Right. Um, And like thinking about like zooming in a story on just those people and just what they're doing, like as the whole thing. Right. And forgetting the rest of the world. Yeah, that's that's really good advice. Um, I I know from the board game side, we do that. I mean, I do that quite a bit. Many, many of my games will come from and this is like not RPGs is just for the most part um, board games. I mean, um, I said not RPGs, and then I was going to say it's like it's mostly role playing games. Nope, that's RPGs. Um, <laughs> so uh, board games uh, with those, a lot of times I like my designs will come from a scene in my head, right? Like there's, I want to emulate this one thing, and that I actually have to then slowly zoom out from there. Basically, start hyper focused, and and I'm assuming that's what when you zoom in on something, then then you have to allow yourself to decide how far you want to zoom out, right? Yeah. Um, kind of what your full scope becomes. Uh, but I can definitely see how that starting small allows you to um, allows you to not focus on, get, not kind of get that per analysis paralysis on the entire thing, right? Um, I, I know that one of the things I've struggled with over the years is working on... Um, uh, I've always wanted to design a really good survival game. And every time I try to design a survival game, I start with this huge thing of like, okay, so what's everything you have to do? And by the end, I'm like, we're not even simulating survival. Like you just have to like go like live in the woods and play this game. Right. And that's dumb. (laughs) And I finally have found something I'm working on to where I've done the opposite. I did. I did exactly what you suggested, uh, which is I zoomed in on one scenario and then worked backwards from there and said, okay, so how much information do I need to have to do this? And and that's worked wonders because it cut off all this, you know, superfluous stuff that is in my brain about that sort of thing because it's something that I'm interested in. So I read stuff about it and I'm not like a doomsday prepper. I just want to be clear um, <laughs> at all. Uh, I bought some extra peanut butter when the pandemic hit because uh, I didn't want to run out. Yeah. But other than that, 
there's staples okay um but anyways uh yeah so that I, from the board game side too that's fantastic advice to help people uh get their head around what they're working on was there yeah. more to say on your side about that zooming in thing sorry i got real excited about no it. no i mean it's great it's great i'm really i'm really enjoying that you know you're connecting to the board game side with each one of these things I mean, it's it's really cool to hear how those you know how how the advice is applicable to board games also awesome yeah no this is we have listeners who design rpgs board games both so it's great to cover both sides of this this is really this is really interesting i like this cool um, yeah, I mean, you know, not a, not a lot more to say, except that uh, it it takes some. I don't know. It takes it takes a little push and pull because there is a point at which at which you can zoom in and feel a little disappointed, where you're like, oh well, I wanted I wanted to both I wanted to design this game in a month and I wanted to tell Star Wars. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's you can sort of lose sight of the the story that you wanted to tell or the, the idea that you wanted to evoke. Um, mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of, you know, you're going to spend some time zooming in and then zooming out again and then zooming in and then maybe also accepting that your idea has, you know, blossomed and um, whoops, you do want to design game of Thrones, which happens too. Right. I mean, I think that often happens with small ideas is that they do just spill mm-hmm. out and spill out. Um, so again, hard to keep them contained. So one thing that, I'm curious about around this because with board games, we kind of get a pass, right? Like with board games, for the most part, no. if if I was to say that you are like, it's I, it's this Game of Thrones game, right? But you are playing the night of the king getting assassinated, right? Like, and you are, everyone is trying to determine to di- make a different outcome happen. Um, or maybe everyone's trying to take the place of the king w- when, he's, when he's assassinated. Um, and there's a bunch of board game mechanisms around it. And I could put in like, oh, there's this interesting magic that some characters can use, right? And I can totally, in a board game, get a pass for not explaining any of that crap, right? Like, just like, <laughs> oh, and then some people can do magic. And people are just like, okay. And like, and this guy's a robot. And they're like, okay, right? I mean, like, I feel like as a, as a, again, somebody with limited RPG experience, I feel like you might not get the same pass we get on that. So I'm curious, like, how do players respond to that when you just describe that little scene and there's this huge world that you're a part of? Like, you know, talking about Star Wars, but you talk about Luke and Darth Vader's, you know, having a battle, but clearly they have laser swords and a bunch of weird stuff is happening. Um, Yeah. How does that, how, how do you handle that on your side? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, I think this is where it really uh, benefits to draw on genre tropes and genre knowledge mm. and to be able to yep. say, um, to know that if you are telling, if you are playing a game that emulates Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy level sci-fi versus, right. um, I don't know, I'm trying to think of something that's like much more hard science fiction. Um Star Trek. Yeah, or even yeah, I mean, Star Star Trek. Um, I don't know the Expanse. Yeah, I'm bad maybe. with this. <laughs> oh yeah, that's yeah. Um, yeah. I see uh, something that's a bit more detailed and more. I guess yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I mean, I think that 
there is there is a lot to be said for rules, at least in instructing players how much hand waving a game expects and allows. Ah, right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you are if you're trying to design a small game that is about these people storming this castle to overtake the king, but you know that there's magic in this world, um, Mm -hmm. you know, to set some parameters around magic around, you know, like, uh, (laughs) and, uh, mages are pretty much all powerful, but everybody at the table has to agree if this particular mage is being an asshole, (laughs) the mage being the player. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Nice. Um, uh, unless your small game is really just about sort of a really finicky magic system, which is actually, I think, a small game that you could design. You could be like, all right, this is about, this game is about the final duel of these wizards who are really powerful. And I'm going to just design Mm -hmm. this like really crunchy magic system, um, that I'm going to spend a month on and then, you know, expect players to have this magic duel that's going to last an hour it's just going to be absurd yeah Um, (laughs) but i think but yeah drawing on sort of the the genre tropes while also trying to Mm -hmm. do your best to explain them to people who might not be as familiar with those tropes is a big help there especially in rpgs that makes total sense and i mean i think with with a fantasy setting especially like or like a standard sci-fi setting you know i i think yeah, there's so many genre tropes that people, or even superheroes or whatever, like there are so many things that people can just draw on and say, oh, it's this. Yeah, sure. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And to say, you know, in this game, uh, this is a, you know, this is a sci-fi game that leans absurdist. So when a technology thing comes up, you know, we call it the, we say, run to the, run to the main cabin to, you know, pull the zoink bobber and like that's that's acceptable and nobody needs to argue about what you know what how the speed of light is actually defined because we don't expect players to know that (laughs) yeah that sounds like a hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy game right there (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so that was that's a good question the final bit of advice that I can think mm-hmm. of or the final thing that I do. I don't I don't feel like I have the capacity to give anybody else advice. <laughs> but what I do, um, I mean it's also if if you want to design something small and try to keep the scale small, um, you know, pulling from mechanics that already exist and not trying to reinvent the wheel is a really good one. That is something that everybody does in board games and it's it's also oh, yeah. it's yeah. something that gives yes. players a comfort you know players can say mm-hmm. oh well i know that i like worker placement games or i know yep. that i like uh co-op games like pandemic not right now mm-hmm. nobody likes that right <laughs> now <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah yeah um uh, but you know drawing drawing from systems that already exist uh and mm-hmm. it may be that after you draw from that system you quickly start to deviate from it to the point where you're like I don't even have to credit this system because I <laughs> created right, a totally right, new right. thing um I started with apocalypse world and I made something that uh just looks to- totally unlike it Yeah that's board games is I mean with board games 
we really we borrow so heavily from each other because um and i'm sure you see this exact same thing with rpgs which is that just because um you know uh, one game does something really well doesn't mean that that's the only way to do it and you know one of the things i have a, a good friend who's a designer and one of his his main things that he does is when he wants to design a game he'll look at two games that he likes he'll look at the core mechanic of both those games and he'll say what would happen if those were in the same game and then he moves forward with that with that premise um and what he ends up with usually is a is this hybrid game that if you like the other games you will enjoy um, he has one where it's like literally two of my favorite games. Uh, <laughs> he's taking the core mechanic from each of them. Um, and if somebody somebody is, wouldn't necessarily say, oh, like this came from this game. But if you know those games, you're like, oh, yeah, this is what this came from. Right. And it's um, and it's not a system. Right. Uh, I think that's probably the difference with an RPG with with if you're using Apocalypse World, for instance. Right. If you're using that exact system, then yes. Absolutely, you need to credit that system, right? Or the designers of said system. Um, but yeah, I imagine if you're very like if you veer off from that, then you're you're in the clear. Is that correct? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think that one thing that especially now RPG designers are especially good at is giving each other credit and appreciating each other, and mm-hmm. you know, sort of gushingly. Right. So, um, so I right, think right. That, <laughs> I think that sometimes you'll find that you know, even if somebody has you know started with Apocalypse World and now has created something that strays in a totally different direction, um, that you're likely to see a credits page that thanks everybody <laughs> which right, is great right, right right um it's it's a nice thing oh to yeah do. for sure um, uh but you know it's it is it is something that's helpful especially when you are trying to design for scale and you're trying to design something mm-hmm. small to take to take a system that's already been made and to use that to kind of jumpstart, jumpstart the timeline from bringing this idea that you're excited about into being a real life thing that people can actually play and interact with. Um, Right. That makes sense for sure. You know, putting the time into finding the system that supports what it is, the story you want to tell instead of putting the time into reinventing the wheel. um, When you do just want to tell a game about, a witch who makes bread deliveries. Uh, <laughs> I'd play that game. That That's great. a good, yeah, me too. <laughs> um, it's a good Halloween themed game, right? Um, so with, you know, along those lines, I know with board games, we talk about the, the good and the bad of the super unique rule, right? Like there are very few mechanics that are unique at this point. I mean, there's, we we always argue that there's no new mechanics, but there are, right? Every once in a while, a game will come out with this new mechanic and we get excited about it. But but also, um, the catch to that is if it's too new and too different, then people are like, I don't get it, right? And now there's no, there's nothing to lean on for as you are, um, as you're explaining it to someone, right? Uh, whereas I can say, oh, this game's like this game or that game. Oh, okay. Yeah, I've played that. You know, when I'm, whenever I'm explaining games to my wife, I'll be like, well, this mechanic, it's kind of like this other game you're playing. She's like, oh yeah, that makes total sense. Right. Mm-hmm. And it just helps it make sense when you're explaining it. Um, and those truly unique mechanics um, can really kind of just befuddle you when you're first trying to learn how the game works. And I have to imagine it'd be the same with RPG. I mean, if you were reinventing an entire dice system for every single game, and it didn't feel like any other game, 
Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of a heavy cognitive burden, right? To try and it manage is. through. <laughs> and you know, I can speak from experience here as somebody who creates uh, bizarre and pointless dice systems anew for every game <laughs> that I make. <laughs> Not a great selling point, to be honest. <laughs> You know, I mean, oh, that's funny. <laughs> have made multiple uh, one shot, one session RPGs, each with a complicated dice system that you have to learn. Not a good way to keep selling games. <laughs> you haven't considered just right like now. using that same system for like other games? <laughs> yes, yes. I mean, we, <laughs> we do. You know, I mean, when when Questlandia was our first role playing game years ago and uh-huh. In my mind, I hadn't actually played a lot of RPGs and I designed a system that for me as a new player made a lot of sense and felt interesting. Um, And I also described it as the time at the time is easy to learn, um, which wasn't the case. Um, It was (laughs) it was like a very specific, like easy for me to conceptualize um, sort of right. unpleasant for everybody else to learn. Uh, <laughs> but since then, we have we have actually reused and simplified some of what we made in that first game in other games. And you know, we haven't we haven't reinvented the wheel every time. And every time it gets a little less clunky. Well, for Noirlandia, it got a little more clunky. Then it's gotten a little less clunky over time. Um, that's good. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's part of a process. One of the things you made me think of when you were talking about borrowing from somewhere else, um, like let's say you look, I, I've not played Apocalypse World, I've heard about it, but let's say, well, let no, actually let's use Noirlandia as an example, right? To where you said, okay, I want to make another Landia game, uh, but I want it to be really simple, right? So then you look at that system and you say, how do I pare this down to be something real streamlined? Um, and we do that a ton in board games with when we're trying to make something simple, um, myself and several of my co-designers will look at a bigger game and say, what if we just did this? We just pluck out this one thing we like about it and make a game that's just that focused on that thing. Right. Um, and what's crazy is it can feel like a completely different game when you've done that. Like you would never know there was a correlation between the two. Um, do you find, do, is that helpful when you, when you're looking at a system and saying, okay, I'm going to use this as a starting point, but I want to just, I want to pair this down to the, just to the, base of whatever it could be um you know the the simplest version is that i mean is that something that would be helpful designing an rpg a small rpg yeah absolutely and you know what the questions that we've asked ourselves as we try to not you know totally start anew um excuse me uh as we try to not totally start anew from this sort of borky system that we made years ago are, <laughs> right, right. um you know thinking about what in, in rpgs this question works especially is like thinking what what emotion or what feeling you're trying to evoke and like how can that feeling and how can that outcome still be evoked with a simpler or different mechanics is that possible so right. you know in in questlandia um in Questlandia, basically, we have this system where when you're trying to do something, you're rolling rolling these pools of dice, and then you're matching your dice against opponent's dice. And if you win, the number that you won on, so your six wins against their five, 
uh, there's a little table with narrative outcomes and it matches a narrative outcome instead of hit points or something, which is cool. It's kind of a cool idea. And then if the, you know, if the opposition wins, then they get to um, pick their narrative outcomes. And another part of the game, just because it's a game about uh, tragedy and kingdoms falling apart, is that the opposition always, no matter how you can win on dice, but the opposition will always win on something like something will always go wrong um okay but really at the end of the day that's just like a that's a success but like right you won (laughs) so that's you want a new car but you have to pay all the taxes yeah yeah and so that's you know the question was like did we have to make this super complicated fidgety dice system for something that is technically just a success but um and that's the answer that we're, that's the question that we're sort of answering now is like, if we want to keep using a system that evokes this feeling of failure of like always failing right. on something, do we need to do that by asking players to roll 10 dice and then matching each die individually? Um, the answer right, is no. Right. <laughs> yeah. I was going to say, I bet the answer, the answer is, is no. no. Um, but it's important to be able to identify that like what, what we're excited about there isn't actually the dice. It's it's giving this feeling of um, constant failure. Yeah. Um, oh, for sure. But yeah. always having some failure. And that's, that's the important part is like, what's the mood of the story you want to tell? Right. Well, I think that that's just, I mean, part of that is just as we grow as designers, you said Questlandia was one of the first things you designed, right? It was the very first um, thing. Yeah. The very first thing, right? So of like, I mean, when I look at back at my first designs, um, even, you know, the, like yours, the published ones, right? Where I'm like, oh, I would have done this differently now. Like, like I have one game uh, that I play that I designed and published and I still like when I play it, I pull a few cards out to like house rule it a little bit because I know it plays better that way because <laughs> yeah. I designed it and I was new and uh, yeah, and I would do it differently now. And I think that's good, right? I think that you see anyone in any really, uh, especially a creative field, right? Where they, they look back and they say, nah, I would have directed that movie different. I would have made some different choices here or whatever, you know? Um, I think that that's just part of growth in us moving forward in these things. And if you look back and say, Questlandia was literally the perfect thing that I designed and you're chasing that forever, like that's that's not good either. Because then you're like, did I just get lucky with that? Like, how did I, like, right? Like, yeah, how did I do that? That's like having your best years in high school or something. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> Peaking or, you know, there you, you, and then what right, comes you, next? You publish this one novel and it's like, brilliant and amazing and then everything you write after that people are like this is awful right yeah which I'm I mean, sure that's... not to say that that doesn't happen but not great oh i'm sure yeah it just <laughs> sounds great. really awful yeah <laughs> i was well the yeah. next thing to be at least as good if not a little better right because yeah because we want to learn and grow yeah not good to be a one-hit wonder if you aspire to make more things Right, right. Unless you're going to be a music, like a a, a musician, and you can make a really catchy one-hit wonder in the 80s or (laughs) 90s, in which case you will be set for life. Um, That's pretty much how that works. So, uh, yeah, no, this is a really, really fun discussion about this. Is there anything else you want to throw out there about small games before we move on? I mean, I guess the final thing is that it just takes practice. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm constantly saying that I'm going to make a small game, sometimes even publicly. I'll be like, I have this idea for a game. It's so good. It's so, it's just like this, um, <clears throat> it's this small little package. Like it all came together. I'm going to have this game done in a week. And I don't know if any of those games I've ever finished at all. <laughs> um, sort of like the smaller I think the game is, the faster I think it's going to come together. And then the more yeah. publicly I announce it, it's just like a death sentence for for these games. Yep. So, yep. Um, you know, it's it it's not because I'm not trying, but but genuinely yep. they're just often so much bigger than I thought they were. So mm -hmm. it takes it just takes practice to refine that skill of actually making something small, unless you're quite lucky. For sure. I, I, I want to say to the listeners, so what Hannah is saying is that I get a pass for the last 438 episodes when I've absolutely said, <laughs> I'm making this game. I'm doing something with this game and that I never do. Okay, so uh, you've had some familiarity problem, right? with this. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> We'll, we'll pitch an idea on the show and I'm like so jazzed about it. I'm like, oh, this is it. This is the game. And I'll sit down the next day and I'll make like pages and notes. And then I'm just like, nah, nope. I don't want to work on this anymore. And then and then I allow myself to just not work on it because I'm not going to force myself to work on a game uh, that I'm not excited about because, you know, unless someone's hired me to develop something for them and then and then I'm excited because I get to help them, right? Um I'm not going to force myself to design something that I don't want to design because that's not why I'm a game designer. And I'm sure that's not why you're a game designer. For right? sure. Yeah. Um, otherwise, we'd be corporate game designers and we just like <laughs> design the things that they tell us to design. I don't think that's a thing, but yeah. I mean, like, there are corporate game designers, I guess, but I don't think it's like what I was just describing. So yeah. And hey, you know, sometimes know. it's like sometimes in your own games, there is a period that is a little drudgerous um but ideally it's not the whole thing <laughs> right right i i've numerous times too i mean there are games where um i've worked on and then put it down and then come back a year later and been like oh why did i put this down like yeah. i have the total solution for this one little problem it had and then i just fix it um but there are also times where a year later I look and say why did i put this oh yeah that's why yep yep i'm gonna put this right back down and walk away slowly so, <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. so you are now going to tell us about a game that you're working on. Um, and yeah, and I literally have no idea what you're going to tell us about because I didn't ask you ahead of time. Oh, so great. I get to be surprised. Cool. That's exciting. Um, well, so in the spirit of small games, uh, I am kickstarting a small game. Um, not fully a game. It is a sort of zine short story with solo role-playing game elements. It's called Mud. Awesome. Um, it yes, is... I, did, I saw some of the yeah. artwork for this. Oh, great. It was really good. Cool, it was cool. really good, yeah. Um, so it is called Mud, a golem memoir, and it is a short 40-page zine. I don't know, actually. Maybe 40 pages isn't that short. That's like a decent say, That doesn't size. sound yeah. short to me. So I'm pages. used to like five-page rule books, though. <laughs> yeah, so 40 yeah. pages sounds like a so lot. 40, 40 pages, give or take. Um, it is a zine and solo role-playing game about a golem, which is this animated clay or stone construct from Jewish folklore. And yep. it uses the story of a golem to tell a story of... Um, what it's like to be born into a body that you don't necessarily feel connected to or feel ownership over. Um, oh, wow. 
Yeah. So it's that's, that's um, like super deep. Like wow. Yeah. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, I think it's going to be really cool. It's you know it's sort of a personal project. It's pretty niche, but it's been well received and it's it's been received at the level that I would hope for for something where I set set my mind out to do make a thing that's actually small and isn't going to take that long and I think that is going to happen so that's fantastic and then is it um does it gives it is the goal a physical print of it yeah yeah so it'll be a a physical zine Mm -hmm. um and the Kickstarter, because I wanted every part of this to feel a little scaled back, um, the Kickstarter only mm-hmm. runs for two weeks. So it launched today okay. and it yep. ends Halloween, which also felt appropriate for sort of this theme that of does. animated constructs. So I just that got does. lucky timing wise. Right, right, right. Oh, that sounds really interesting. And um, so uh, wh- I'm curious, as an aside, um, with making a zine or something, where do you where do you print that? Like, how do you, I know from like, you know, everything pretty much is done offshore for the build for the board game side, just because everything is so expensive. Um, what about with the, with the RPG side of things? Um, so we're, we're really lucky. We have a local printer that we work with for, for small things of this scale. Like we, we just happen to live live in a place with like a really awesome local print shop down the street that is like a a skilled local print shop. Like they have experience, um, with, you know, small run staple. I mean, this is just going to be a staple bound thing. Um, I mean, it's a zine. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Um, so for, you know, for us, for this, we have our local print shop, um, but you know, I mean, just in just in general, um, we've really tried make big things, which is the cooperative that I've published with before. Um, mm-hmm. We did we did publish a board game in the U.S. Uh, and yeah, it's really hard and expensive. It is. I did it once too. It's yeah. real tough. Yeah. It's challenging. I think that there are more places now that are stepping up to meet the need. Um, mm-hmm. But you still, I mean, there's still parts that like certain parts that you just, they're just not manufactured here. So you can, you can try your best. Um, Yeah. I, I tried many times to piece together, like I'll just boutique a board game, right? Like I'll just, I can, I'll get all the components myself from different places and then I will box it up and put it together and everything works (laughs) except for the box it up because boxes, guess what? Are ridiculously expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's like, that's the deal breaker almost every time, you know, um, I look at like being able to print offshore and get a full game for $4 for like a good size for like a $20 game. You can get it for four bucks or less probably. Um, and then here the box is $5 yep. <laughs> like, plus like a $2 for everything else. So now yeah, that tracks. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and that can work for, I think, the right size game. The game I did was like a little small deck card game that sold for $15 uh, and it cost $5 to make it. So like that pretty much means that you can't do typical distribution because mm-hmm. like they're going to take half and you're going to literally make like a dollar a copy. Um, so yeah, so that it's tough though, right? I mean, it's... Um, it's really tough. But, I mean, that would be a whole, it's like a, a topic that I didn't even think of is ethical manufacturing, but we can do right, that in a right. part two. <laughs> yes, yes. And that's, that is something that um much of the board game community has become very concerned about. You know, I mean, it's not, um, there things are being printed in China, but, you know, there's some companies are literally going in touring factories, 
like to make sure they see what their production stuff is, you know, that everything is good, that things are going well. And I think that's fantastic that people are doing that, especially companies of means that are able to do that, right? They're able to say, listen, we're not going to print with you unless you're going to do these things correctly, right? And treat people right and things like that. That's, that's important. So, and, um, uh, so when we were talking about the zine and you said, oh, we're going to print it, it's, you know, cause it's stapled and stuff. And I was like, yeah, well, it's a zine. I, I meant that in a good way, just to be clear, not like, <laughs> well, it's just a zine. So of course, cause I know that's the style, right? Is that yeah, it's usually no, totally the style. Paper, yeah. I mean, yeah, this yeah. was really, really a project. I mean, our, our last, the last Kickstarter that I did was a few years ago for good dog, bad zombie, which was a, like a scale above our other Kickstarters. I mean, it was a, it was a Kickstarter okay. that for us broke six digits. And that was like, that was unimaginable for me. Um, and it was also awesome. really challenging. Um, I mean, the I work, bet, yeah. it was three years ago and the work on the Kickstarter hasn't like it, we shipped the game years ago and the work still hasn't ended um you know yeah. yeah i'm sure you know how it goes um so you know the point with this was really just to go back to basics and like small project small funding goal small page number right staples right. so um what is the what is the cost of it for the i'm not the the, the what is the price on a kickstarter for the game uh, it's ten dollars for the zine, cool. and awesome. then there is another level that I think is twenty four. Let me, I have a tab open right here. I should know this. Where's twenty four dollars? Um, yeah. Obsessively Between... refreshing the tab. You know? I know. Yeah, I think <laughs> I know. I'm the same way when I have Kickstarter. <laughs> um, so ten dollars for the zine, or twenty four dollars for um, mud, and then another zine that we made called "You and Astronaut," which is a similar sort of solo role playing game. Oh, cool. Uh, cool. And then all of our nano games, which are you know all these little games that we've printed over the years on postcards or. Uh, business cool. cards and normally those are games where like the cost there's no way to justify buying them online because they're like mm -hmm. expensive to print and you don't want to give somebody something that also is you know it's like you spend two dollars on it and then it's two dollars to ship so this is a way right, for people right, to right. be able to get the nano games uh during a time when we're not going to have a convention season which is normally how right. people get yeah. them so that makes sense yeah Awesome. Well, that is very cool. Excellent. Um, well, hey, everybody go check out Mud. Uh, I know I will. That sounds really fun and really an interesting take uh, that I didn't see coming when you were like, it's about a golem. Ooh, and then yeah. you started to explain <laughs> what I was like, oh, wow. Like, that's a really twist. cool. Thank you. Um, it's a good twist. Yeah. So um, is there anything else before we do the end of the show that you would like to plug or throw out there? Um, I believe, do you have a Patreon? I believe you have a Patreon. Oh, yeah, I, I do have a Patreon. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, I have a Patreon with my frequent games uh, collaborator, Evan Rowland. Our Patreon is called Turtle Bun. Um, and that's where we publish small games. We do, we're doing some like animation projects there. We're just we're going weird with the Patreon. So nice, if that's nice. your jam, you know, if you like the things that fall under the umbrella of weird games plus um that's our Patreon, Turtle Bun. Very cool. Very cool. Awesome. We'll check that out. 
Well, hey, thank you again uh, for coming on the show. Uh, this was a really fun conversation, and I loved being able to go back and forth about the difference between RPG and the similarities, really, yeah, between RPGs and board great. games with this stuff. I mean, it was great to see how many similarities there really are uh, with all the stuff we're talking about. Yeah, thanks so much, Jason. Yeah. So, all right, listeners, if you want to get in touch with us, you can go to buildingthegamepodcast.com. You can email us at buildingthegamepodcast at gmail.com. You can call us at 770-TELL-BTG. You can uh, find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter at PodcastBTG. I am at J.A. Slingerland. Hannah is at HandBandit. And uh, yes, so uh, find us on all the podcasting locations. Give us lots of five-star reviews. Boy, do we love that. It's great. Uh, But until next time, good night. Good night. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Building the game. Building the game with Jason and friends. With Jason and friends. Dial 770 tell BTG. Please don't use the email.